Hello, listeners, and welcome to today's episode of Blind Insights. You are all probably aware that I started playing guitar again last year after a gap of 20 years. And my hands are sort of coming back slowly, and my ears are coming back slowly, and it's getting better every month, slower than I'd like, but this time I'm actually having fun rather than being a perfectionist and driving myself insane. Along this path, I realized I missed having lots of different guitar sounds, but I didn't want to spend a fortune on top-tier gear. And I came across reviews of a brand called Artist Guitars in Sydney, and they're making these incredibly well-reviewed instruments at really, really good prices. And I listened to the reviews on YouTube by Brett Kingman and Shane from In The Blues, and then looked up the semi-acoustic they'd reviewed, and there was a review of the guitar from one of my first university professors who was a very good guitarist who wanted me to play lead guitar in his band. Wayne, if you're out there, hi and thank you. Ordered that first guitar, thought it was amazing. Ordered a second guitar, really like that one too. And now have one on order of which there are no reviews because no one but our guest today has played it yet. The ultimate hidden truth of the world is that it is something that we make and could just as easily make differently. David Graeber, 1961 to 2020. Welcome to Blind Insights. I'm joined today by David Olney. How are you, David? Very well, thank you, Tim. That's good. And we have a very special guest joining us via the interwebs uh, from Artist Guitars, Ian Bush. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Ian, what's it like knowing that people like me look at the Artist Guitars website every day just to see if something new and amazing and affordable is available? Does it make you smile? Uh, yeah, it does make me smile. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting because um, when you first do it, you, you think you're kind of nobody knows anything that's going on um and then you get to this point where people actually start to recognize that you're doing something um and maybe you might sort of consider like when people think of like overnight success and um the person who's doing that overnight success probably was 10 years before anybody else noticed them and it's kind of it feels a little bit like that yeah we know that from podcasting being two and a half years in now yeah, we're at that point where it's growing, growing slowly, growing, and we're waiting for the point where we become an overnight success. Yes. Yeah. Now we're talking to someone who's done that whole ten years to become an overnight success thing. How how did Artist Guitars start? You know, where did the idea come from of putting good, affordable instruments in enthusiasts' hands? Yeah, so it probably started a long time ago or the idea maybe not the whole idea but the i guess um the reason to do it yeah um and i'm probably i'm not too dissimilar to yourself where i really loved guitar when i was a kid but i just couldn't afford any of the gear that i wanted to have yeah um and i guess it was sort of like two paths for me i was sort of half thinking about do i become a professional musician and then thinking oh, that was a really hard life to live. And I was also like really interested in design, um, primarily like electronic design more than like wood design, more mm -hmm. electronics. Um, 
And I was like, I'd really like to, at that stage, sort of being like 15 or 16, I'd really like to design um, electronic things. And I thought like maybe for like Roland or someone like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I sort of took the idea of, well, you know, being a musician is, I didn't think that was a stable life because it's pretty hard to to do that. You've got to be like the best. And you're committed. See, yeah, I was the same. I was playing guitar in the nineties. I was pretty good. I was making money, but going, I don't like the lifestyle. Yeah. I work it's weird a hard lifestyle. around weird people. Some of them are yeah. awesome. Lots of them are just weird. And then I discovered the violin and that was a bit more normal, but then being blind and using the cane in my right hand meant the bow and the cane together just did terrible things to my wrists, which is why I had a 20 year gap. You know, yeah, playing and not playing. So yeah. I'm coming back now trying not to be a perfectionist, trying to just enjoy Whereas, you know, you made the point as a young guy, you couldn't afford the gear you wanted. Well, yeah. I just didn't own other things. You know, I had a handmade Paul Reed Smith in 1993. You know, I had a top tier Ibanez in 1992. And mm. I just did these things to the exclusion of, of everything else. But mm. this time around, I didn't want to do that. So I'm having the grown up moment my second time around as a grown up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's good. And you do. We actually find a lot of people uh, come back to music. It's yeah. like something they do as a, you know, maybe in high school, and then their career or their life gets in the way. They might have some children or something like that. But then they get past say forty or so, and then they come back to music because they've got more time on their hands or they've got well, more money because because you recognise the mental health, but yeah. you're so more careful with your money. So yeah. it strikes me that half the guitar world people who played then life got in the way in my case it was violin got in the way and then pain got in the way but it was a case of when i came back you're in a funny position you still love music you're more careful with money you don't care quite as well actually i'd say the over 40s guitarist there's two different tribes there's Mm. the damn it i'm going to have the fender or gibson custom shop guitar i want it when i'm 19 and i'm going to live in a time warp Mm. I'm very glad to meet them so I can play their guitars that I don't want to buy. (laughs) And then there are the more reasonable people who go, I'm not going to put in the six hours a day I used to. I'm going to put in an hour or 90 minutes a day and I'm going to be good enough to have fun. I'm going to be good enough to play music with friends and I want it to sound nice, but I need to do it within the budget of being a responsible adult. And that's when I found your website. And again, when I got my Black 58 too, you know, this wonderful semi-acoustic. And again, when you look up, there's not many black semi-acoustics in the world. The only famous one is Roy Orbison's, you know, mm. Black 335. And I'm like, I can live with this. Looks like Roy Orbison's guitar. Sounds pretty good. You know, when I pulled it out the box and tuned it and I'm like, hang on, this thing. Okay. I had a John Schofield Ibanez in the 90s. So the period oh, yeah. things were yep. totally handmade. Yeah. And that thing was crazy good. And I'm only comparing by memory now. But yeah. Yeah, what struck me, the minute I pulled the Black 58-2 out of the box is, hang on, for $400 for the guitar and 90 for the case and restringing it, so another 15 bucks. this thing's probably a $1,500 guitar. Yeah. And that was yeah. an, an amazing realisation. And again, I've kind of you're taken us off the track of your story, but hopefully, listeners, you're getting the point why we wanted Ian on because for anyone who's going back to music like Ian suggests or like I'm doing, this website is, you know, like this big happy smile opened and the sun came out. It's awesome. Yeah, awesome. Um, and that's, I think that's kind of where 
where we really want to fit in, that's kind of where we see our spot is um, we're trying to be the guitar that is good enough to make you happy, but not, not to be like, we're not trying to be like the, the most premium guitar that you can buy. Yeah. Um, we're trying to be something that uh, would be inspiring to play that you'll have fun on, but it's, it's not trying to be the elite. Um, yeah. You know, it's not like the $10,000 PRS that's got, you know, a, tri- a 5A top, which are beautiful. Yeah. Um, but the, most people can't. play at home or in a small pub. No. Lovely to no. look at. You're almost afraid of it. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. What, what do you do? What if you breathe? on? Like, I was lucky with my Paul Reed Smith in the 90s. A friend of mine had bought it in New York. And the first night he played at life, he scratched the back of it. Yeah. Oh, so it had a heartbreaking. huge scratch on the back. So by the yeah. time I bought it, it already had a scratch. Yeah. And on the back, the perfect place to have a big scratch. Yeah. It's got a wound. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. my problem from then on when I used it in pubs. I was okay. Yeah. Whereas yeah. now if I get back to wanting to do pub gigs and I take my black 58 too along, if I have a nick or ding, all right, I'll be annoyed at myself, but I'm blind. I occasionally yeah. nick and ding things. Yeah. And I'll be a, a lot less concerned. So from having the, the seed in your head of I want to do this, Mm-hmm. what was the, the random path to become an overnight success? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So then after uh, like having, you know, giving up on like having, being a professional musician, um, I actually started, uh, I got a job repairing amplifiers and that was for uh, one of the larger wholesalers in Australia. And I would just, you know, it was just like, like an entry level job, just fix yep. the amplifiers, that sort of thing. But because I had that electronics interest, um, I thought, oh, this is good. This is a good starting stone, you know, starting step. Mm. And um, they, so actually, it's interesting you're talking before about the John Schofield. They mm. were the Ibanez distributors. And probably about the time we bought that guitar, I would have been the brand manager for Ibanez in Australia. Okay, crazy um, stuff. So our lives kind of align. Like I'm 49. Yeah. What are you, similar age? Yeah, yeah, I'm 46. Oh, wow. So you're literally, I might have bought it just before you were the brand manager, but our our lives are parallel in we were looking at the same exotic gear that was very dear in Australia in the period. And you either bought the very good stuff or you looked at the cheap stuff and went, I'm really not sure. Yeah. And that's what's changed. Like when I came back last year, what blew me away was stuff under $1,000 was good you know, to a degree, mm. you know, you couldn't buy cheap stuff in the 90s unless you were going to fix everything. Yes. Now you don't buy cheap stuff. You buy affordable stuff and everything works. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, so I, I started working for a distributor that, you know, fixing their amps and that sort of thing. And they were doing like PV and uh, Ibanez and that yep. sort of thing. And then... Um, they started to do their own home brand. So um, buying their own products with their own logo on it. Okay. Uh, and I got involved in that quite heavily. Um, and I thought, okay, this is quite interesting because this is, this is what I really wanted to do. Yeah. Although even though I like, like Ibanez are great guitars and, and all that sort of stuff, but actually going and designing it sort of fed the creative part of me that I could, make something that was different and you could also make sure it was at that quality level that's that right you couldn't yeah. afford as a young guy yeah 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 so that that took me to um this is around uh 2000 something like that so 
over 20 years ago now. Uh, And that took me to, they started to send me on trips over to China to start visiting factories. And um, we'd be going into factories, uh, me and another guy who was a luthier, and we'd be going to factories and and these factories just didn't even know how to make guitars yet. That sort of They were where Korea was in 1990. Sorry? They were where South Korea was in 1990. Like I remember the first- No, no, worse. Worse. Oh, worse. Okay, because yeah. I remember some of the early '90s South Korean guitars, and they were truly atrocious. And then when yeah. Epiphone started coming out of South Korea in '91 or '92, they were like the first South Korean guitars I played. And it's like, hang on, this stuff's amazing. They now know what they're doing, and they've got an eye for detail. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we started going there around that time, and yeah, you turn up to a factory, and like they were, they were just making hundreds of mistakes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I spent a lot of time in factories over there just trying to lift up that level. Um, and, yeah, we probably were spending uh, a quarter of my life overseas wow. sort of thing at the time yeah. or maybe more. Uh, and just, you know, you'd be sitting down with them and saying, look, that where you're putting the bridge, it's the wrong position. And the way you're doing the nut, that's not how you do it. And then you come back the next month and they've shown, uh, they, they kind of fixed a little bit. Oh no, you got it wrong. And then, yeah. so we sort of went through that process. Um, and uh, then I, uh, the company that I was working for then, um, they did a, a joint venture in China uh, with a Chinese factory to make guitars. So I actually went to live in China for a couple of years um, to help set up that factory and try and get it off the ground. And be there every day to make sure each of those little lessons got fixed in a week, not in a few months. Yes, that's the goal. (laughs) It's not always that easy, but that's that's what what you hope for. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then I finished up with that company in about 2007, 2008. And then I went, well, what am I going to do? And I went, well, some people are selling things on the internet. It sounds a little bit old fashioned, but some people are selling things on the internet. And I wonder if you could sell guitars on the internet and you could make it cheaper because it's, it's a, it's a more efficient way to do it. Yeah. Factory box warehouse website. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I thought, Oh, let's see if I can do that. If that works. Cause it was about the time where, you know, where people were like, I don't think I can give my credit card on the internet. If that, Yep. makes me sound older than no, no, you know no. what I, mean? I remember it too. I remember the first time I used, you know, my credit card on the website, on a website yeah. and being yeah. so glad when PayPal became along. Yeah. You know, all right. Well, there's this shield called PayPal. They're taking a cut. I don't mind. Yeah. That was the way to get that sense of security. And for so many people I know when PayPal came along, that's when they started feeling safe to buy stuff online. Yeah. So you're very much lined up with that transition era to PayPal and people starting to trust the technology and the technology starting to become mobile. You know, the first of yeah. the iPhones. So people might be even sitting there looking at it on their iPhone in 2008 or nine. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah. And the first, so after having that thought, because I knew those factories, I had relationships with the factories in China. Um, I bought 48 guitars um, which doesn't sound like a lot of guitars, you know, it's not many. And then I just basically started selling them on eBay and, and trying to sort of set up almost from nothing and, and literally sort of set up in a garage. Wow. Um, 
so and then uh, and then step by step it sort of grew from that very small beginning um just yeah 48 guitars doesn't seem like very much um i think like as of now we probably have 10 or 15,000 guitars in stock, something like that. So that be my next question is let's yeah. do comparatively. What city yeah. in the warehouse at the moment? And yeah. at what point did it sort of move? Like I'm guessing when you bought those original 48, you just had to pick the best model they made and get that. When did it get to the point where you could go, no, no, you're going to be doing a run of guitars for me and here's my specs and here's my quality control level? Um, that's, it's, it's always really gradual. So it's just like winning one little point at a time. Yep. Um, and it's, and sometimes it's just about the will of the other people that you're talking to. Um, so it's not so much to know what to do, but it, it's convincing the other person, the factory that that actually is going to make a difference. It's a commitment to move forward saying, look, if this goes well and we both get a name for this, then we both win. And that's yeah. there have been, you know, the, again, the internet is lots of gaps, but really the, the ultimate part of your success seems to have been that incrementally, it just sounds like the people who've now had eight or 10 artist guitars keep saying the same thing. They were always good value and the quality has just got better and better. And the value has got even higher because the quality of the instruments has got higher. And that's really yeah. sounds like it's been literally year by year, a one or 2% incremental improvement. Yes. Yeah. It's definitely that that 1%, just getting 1% here or 1% there is, is, but over time, those 1% become something significant. Well, again, um, there's a whole sort of school of thought on this by, you know, Sir Dave Brailsford, the guy that ran um, you know, bicycle racing in the UK for the Olympics and, you know, the Sky B team called Marginal Gains. Don't mm. look for a big thing, just get lots of little things and add them up. And by doing that in cycling, he went from Britain doing terribly in cycling to getting 12 gold medals at one Olympics. And I think his team have now won Tour de France three or four times in eight years. Yeah, wow. And marginal yeah. gains is the way to win. So, so many people in so many disciplines have ended up on the marginal gains path without realizing it's a thing. And that it is the thing that if people recognize it's working, you get progressively more and more buy-in. And yeah. it seems like I've turned up in just the right year to start playing guitar again, that I'm getting these, these really refined high value guitars. Yeah. 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 And the things that you can buy now for $500 are just, it just is amazing compared to 10, 15, 20 years ago. Oh yeah. Uh, again, just, it was, when, I it was my, when I ordered my ST62 off the website, yeah, I'd had a, a day the week before where I went and looked at Stratocasters and you know, wasn't overly impressed with Mexican ones, thought American ones were overpriced, played a Strat Ultra and thought, that's a nice guitar. Oh, it's $3,700. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm home, ordered an ST62 for $299, stuck it in your $150 uh, ABS case, you know, the, the yep. sort of plastic outer one. Whole exercise cost 450 delivered. Got it out the case and went, ooh, this is significantly better than a Mexican, closer to an American one. Yes, it needs a setup, but most guitars do. Yeah. And have been a totally happy little camper. And now, and this is the thing where we get to talk to you as the only man in the world who may have played it, I have ordered an Apricus 6. Yeah, wow. Tell me about this amazing guitar that you are about to release. 
if yes. you're allowed to. Yeah, yeah. So that's actually that's an interesting um, question. That one. Uh, so we've been working our electric guitar factory that we use. It's changed like quite a number of times, um, and it's probably been uh, the part that we've kind of struggled with the most. Um, when we first started, we we had a factory that was pretty good, but it was around the GFC and they just couldn't stay open. Yeah. Uh, and so we've been through quite a number of factories trying to get the quality that we wanted. And um, the factory that we're with now is just doing really nice guitars. Yes. Um, but it's that process of, okay, we go to this factory and then it, they keep looking for the better factory. Mm. And um, I went and I was, I sat with him. I was, must've been, three years ago after we've been going through the factory and checking the quality. And he said, so what, what do we do? How do we make better stuff? And we had a really long conversation and we started talking about like, you know, the high end sort of, uh, I don't know if you call them like a pro strat, like Tom Anderson (laughs) and and Shures and and things like that, where these really nicely made guitars and could we come up with something like that, like really high end? And then I said, look, you know, if we can keep the quality control the same and we can just incrementally release higher spec guitars, people slowly will go, yeah, actually, that's worth spending more money on. Yep, they'll trust you to go from $299 for the SD62 to $399 for the Aprica 6. And I'm hoping seeing it's called the Aprica 6, it means there will eventually be an Aprica 7 and I can get a seven string for jazz. (laughs) Yeah, well, we haven't haven't got that in the works yet but it's it's all possible yeah um but yeah so he came back and he actually made us like a bunch of different samples and said what do you think so he's sort of going well let's let's do something a little bit like take it out to be a little bit more creative than the very generic things that everybody does um and yeah, that's that's where this came from is the factory guy said to me the factory owner said to me what do we do next what's the next level what's that next we can iteration? do. iteration? What's our yeah. next marginal gain? Locking everything in and stepping that little bit further. And to put it in context, listeners, for the last two weeks, I've been looking longingly at an Ibanez, well, not looking, having my screen reader on my laptop read to me about you know an Ibanez RG631 going, oh, $1,500. Get my 90s Ibanez back. Get my Ibanez addiction started up again. Oh, awesome. No, don't do it. You really don't need another guitar. And then looked on the artist website and went, hang on, humbuckers on a super strat with a roasted maple neck and a fixed bridge and locking tuners uh, and a quilted maple top for 400 bucks based on the quality of my other three guitars. I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the interesting thing, like one of the interesting things on that guitar, like the roasted maple neck, which is, it's a bit of a trend at the moment. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely much better, like as a material, it's a much better material. Yeah. Um, so do you know what the what they do when they roast it? Do you understand what that As process I does? And it's going in an oven without oxygen to change the chemistry, so you end up with a more stable material that resonates better. That, yeah, that's that's roughly. basically what it is. And it's and some things that it's doing is it's making it aged, so it's it's kind of making that natural process happen quicker. Yep. Like I see again, having been a violinist, my violin was made in the eighteen seventies. 
And you know, part of the reason it sounds so good is simply it's been played for 130 years or yeah. 150. Yeah. So, yes. so really this thing is in a sense, more the factory owner came to you. Yeah. So again, cause this was part of the thing when I'm looking at it going, doesn't say what the pickups are. Doesn't say what the pickups are. <gasps> yeah. So I ended up, you know, sort of, you know, writing to your, your contact email and they go like, Oh, there are these things called Starbos and it is on the pickup page. So when they went, it's not telling me what output, <gasps> okay. uh, but, but at least they're our Nico five, which is what I wanted. You know, I didn't want ceramic pickups. I didn't want them to be dark. I still wanted yeah. the brightness for it to be a super strat, not a heavy metal beast. So yeah. What are these Starbos like? Are they like the Bullbucker pickups in my, you know, Black 58 too, or are they a very different sound? Yeah, so these ones are similar, but it's not the same as a Bullbucker. Okay. Um, and um, we haven't actually had these ones in production, this pickup in production yet. So we haven't had a real good um, go of it yet. Right. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what you think of the sound. Yeah. You're a um, me, David. I'm not a test dummy. I'm just a test something. So, <laughs> so again, you know, on the other side, of course, the other new thing then is the seafoam green yeah. style guitar with the roast yeah. maple neck. and Now, again, that's got the Starbo single coil pickups. How come that didn't end up with the amazing you know, artist guitars Wrangler pickups? And now I understand that you've got the technical bent. I now kind of see why you wanted your own pickups because that yeah, so- really does matter to you. Yeah, yeah. So I guess if I, I, I digress on the, the pickups is that, um, you know, the technical difference between a good and a bad pickup is not a whole lot of difference. Um, like it's not that much, it's not that much more expensive to make a good pickup than it is to make a cheap pickup. No, your bullbuckers prove this. You sell yeah. 75 bucks a set and they sound really good. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so we look at that and we go, okay, we can make our guitars more than what it costs to put the pickups in. They can sound better than what it costs us to put the pickups in. Uh, yeah. If that, if that, if yeah, you can understand that. Yep. Whereas if we went and put it, say a set of Damasio's in it, it'd have to be like an $800 guitar or $900 guitar. Pickups. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it almost doesn't add anything to the value of the guitar. No. Because you could just go and put your own Damasio's in almost for the same difference. Yep. And if someone wants to do that, you've given them the option. But the point of building up incrementally like this is people build trust. Yeah. Like, again, I was willing to order this thing before Brett Kingman or Shane from In The Blues had done a review. Yep. Simply because after the three guitars I bought this year, why wouldn't I trust your quality control mechanism? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And yet um, it's a lot of time to build that. So how, so the Seafoam Green Strat, in a sense, is that the other guitar that the factory owner put forward? The fact that yeah. it's got the roasted maple neck and the different pickups? That's right. Yeah, that's one of those variations. Okay. Um, so we might, like in the future, we might, after, you know, we get some, some feedback from people, it might be, oh, look, maybe we need to change the pickups or, you know, that we go to the Wranglers in a new model, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, it's it's one of those things of it's really hard just to listen to it and go, Oh, everybody would love or hate no, 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 something. You're always doing it from your own perspective. And it's that terrible thing. You can know what you like, but you always yeah. need group input to yeah. go, well, was the first batch worth turning into a second batch or does it have to be version 1.1 and then version 1.2? Do we need to try subtle things? See, yeah, that's yeah. the thing I realized now by getting into guitar when I did, I've got to buy instruments this year that have pretty much, you know, the proofs in the pudding. All the work's mm. been done. 
Yeah. yeah. My ST62 was so much better than my first Fernandez Japanese-made Strat in the 90s. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't a bad guitar in the 90s, but relative yeah. to the ST62, the ST2, ST62 is like a jump, you know, up five price points. Yeah, yeah. Yep. The quality level that has jumped there such a huge amount. So um, now you've got to that quality level. How does that now get maintained? Because that's the thing people often don't realize is getting something good is hard enough work. Keeping it good is a whole other issue. Because again, people change, parts suppliers change. Some factories just you know can't survive. Like you said, you had that great factory pre-GFC and it just didn't survive. Hmm. What, what do you have to do at your end? Or is the thing where, you know, if COVID was over, you would have to be back on the plane three months a year and back in the factory all the time. What does it take for you to maintain what you've helped develop now? Yeah, I think, well, one of the things is it's a point of view or almost like a, a method. So if I was to s- sort of classify, say, a big American company that goes and buys guitars in China, which they all do, right? Mm. It feels like their logic is uh, I need to find a big factory because I'm, I'm going to place a lot of orders and I want to get a low price because I want to have um, you know, a cheap entry-level version. Yep. But I don't actually want it to be that good because I still want them to buy my next level up. Yeah. So they've that's, that's, if I was to guess their logic is, yeah, it, it's got to be big production quantity. A big production quantity doesn't necessarily mean good quality. Not just, just quantity and quality doesn't always go together. Yeah. yeah. Um, and cheap price definitely doesn't help. Yeah. And the that idea that well, I've got something else better, and I don't really want to argue with my other thing. Yeah. So you know, if I go and make a an entry level guitar in China and it blows my Korean guitar away. Well, then how am I going to sell my Korean guitars? Yeah. So I, I would imagine that that's a lot of people's logic is they, they go to China and they want to get their, just their basic, you know, um, it's like the beginner guitar pack. Yeah. Um, but for us, we go to China and go, what is the best thing that we can find? Yep. And what's the best guitar that we can make that people want to buy? Yep. So it's a, it's a really different logic. And factories, I imagine, would like the idea of, hang on, you want to help us get better. And if we get better and you sell more, we sell more and we get a rep because we're related with you. It's instead of just selling product, it's actually a win-win game to everyone doing better together. Yeah, yeah. From, from the factories, the problem that they have is on that if they're going for that sort of massive quantity problem is that, it's it's so hard to make any money because it's ultra competitive. Yeah, that they either need to make like two hundred thousand guitars a year, which is huge. Yeah, and even then, it's really hard to like even just stay afloat. Yep. So, yeah, I guess our logic is is quite different than what most other brands do. You value add within the brand because the brand is just one brand. It doesn't have multiple levels. You're not yeah. trying to mega corp with three different countries. See, that's the interesting thing with my, you know, Paul Reed Smith SE. It's Indonesian made and really quality wise, it doesn't have the carved top of my American handmade, but tone wise, it's as good as sounding an instrument and intonation is probably even better. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. the fretboard was put together better 
to make intonation work better and the nut was better cut. Yes. I had to get my nut recut here in Adelaide in the 90s, which, again, if I'd bought the thing in America, I would have been rather pissed off about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, again, in a sense, it's – as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, the the Chinese brand Eastman who were trying to show, you know, what can be built guitar-wise in China by people who really care about what they do, but you have the lower costs. And the couple of Eastmans I've played have been amazing. Yeah. Because they're really good. Because they're building their rep. Yeah. 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 And, you know, the place where you make something is kind of irrelevant. Um, it's the logic in how you make that thing that matters yeah. more. So interesting. Yeah. Because I think there's definitely a sense in Australia, um, I'm, I'm sure even in your part of Australia as well, that things from China just have a really dirty name. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that if you look now, if you look back 10 years ago, yeah, it probably was true. But I don't, I don't really think that's the case anymore. Mm. Um, and it's so hard for any country to compete with manufacture, uh, China's manufacturing capabilities. Mm. And it, it's just one of those things that it's the logic that goes into what, how you make that instrument matter so much more than the, the country that you happen to be in. Yeah. Um, and, and maintaining that reputation. And now you yeah. build it so slow and steady. Yeah, it's going. Hang on. Yes, we've done a heap of work. But we have to keep doing a heap of work. So yes, that's the interesting thing on your website. You know, Tim and I were looking at it over lunch <laughs> before we came in the studio. He going, oh wow, there's all sorts of brands making brilliant copies of very expensive things. Like Tim was looking at some of the audio gear and some of the microphones. Yeah, you got ribbon microphones for real cheap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We we, I think that's because what we um, it's all those things that I wish. Like, I wish I could have it myself, if that makes sense. Mm, and I yeah. can understand, like, you know, a good quality ribbon microphone that isn't $1,000 yeah. is like, oh, I'd like to have that. Yeah. Yep. And I probably don't need it, but that, I would like to have it. Yeah, to have one. 200 bucks. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. See, the, the thing is, um, you know, microphones become a bit of a harder sell, I think, in Australia, because the nice thing about Rode, um, who make their microphones in Australia, is that, one, they manufacture them here, but two, they charge the same AUD amount as they charge in USD. Mm. So that microphone here that's two ninety nine AUD is also two ninety nine USD. So really, they're subsidising in the Australian oh, market. Oh, absolutely, relative. they do. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know whether that's just like a sense of home pride, but um, you know, uh, I'm I, even still, I'm always looking for other things. You know, Rode don't make everything perfect, um, and certainly, you know, they are missing stuff in the headphone market, and you guys also sell those. So again, it brings up this kind of quality assurance thing. Yeah, do, you do trust you, the brand. Yeah. Do you, what do you do? Just like order everything from them or do you order like most things and kind of like assess them and say, yeah, we'll keep ordering more stuff. And do, do you ever, you know, for instance, Superlux is a brand that you have quite a few products from. Do you ever reject some of their lines or? Oh uh, yeah, definitely. So there's some things that they make and then we try it and we go, oh, that just isn't right. Mm. Um. Or yeah, there's the amount of products available to us is just mind-boggling. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and it's 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 like sifting for the one good one. And that's yeah. really what you guys are doing as much as anything else is going. What we think is good as a group, and from the initial feedback we can get, mm. that's what maintains the reputation. So all of a sudden you take out the need for reviewers because yeah. the consumer can just trust the artist guitars brand and know that anything they purchase, even if it's not an artist branded thing, 
It's on the website. It's on the website. It's good. So to put it in context, Ian, uh, you know, of my former students now, friends, one's bought a mandolin since I bought my first guitar. One's bought an eight-string electric and a banjo. Mm-hmm. So just out of me buying something because my former lecturer had bought one, now two other people have bought mm-hmm. stuff, and now Tim's looking at the microphones. Yeah. And that's what happens when you get to this trust point where once, you know, I'd gone, ooh, I'm going to give that a go. Hey, I'm impressed. Hey, other people, I'm impressed. Give this a go. And so that kind of exponential growth, trust is such a hard thing to get. But if you can keep it going, it's such a powerful business tool. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, the trust thing is – and that, that, I think what that means is that when, when we're faced with that tough decision, we have to take – sometimes it means taking those really tough decisions of, well – no, we can't take that shipment. It isn't good enough. Yeah. Um, it and does, I, I think, the loyalty and the loyalty is what means you can survive mm. the hit of going no to a shipment. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Or like uh, I was like when I talked to the guys here when we we talking about products and things like that is it's like the just bluntly honest um, you know uh, some, we, we sell, sometimes we sell the seconds or the return ones and I said, like, I'd rather the customer was so surprised how good it was yep. than they got it and they thought it was not as good as what we said it was, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So, harsher, you know, so that people know when they get it, they go, wow, they were totally honest. It has, yeah. you know, two dots in the paint and a weird bit. And you describe yeah. two dots in the paint and a weird bit. People know exactly what they're getting. Yeah. Like when my ST62 came out of the box, my first thought was, all right, you know, if anything at this price point isn't going to look 100%, it'll probably be the paint. So I grabbed my wife, hey, Karen, how's the paint look? And she goes, looks really beautiful. Yeah. I'm like, yep. yeah, for 300 bucks. Mm-hmm. But again, that's exactly what you're talking about, making sure things are done right and having the guts to say when they're not. And yeah. go, reputation means people just order the next thing. Like being part of the Artist Guitars Designers group on Facebook and yeah. someone will be like, hey, I ordered this today. Hey, I ordered this. Everyone's music room is gradually getting filled up with artist boxes. Yeah, yeah. That's um, an advert. Yeah, that group is actually kind of, I think that group's interesting because uh, like we set that group up so that we can find out what people want. Um, like it's much easier for people to tell us what they want. Mm. And like if there's a problem, we 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 hear it like we want to hear the and issues. And enthusiasts who will explain not just, oh, I don't like it, but I don't like this. Like yeah. I remember the week I joined, there was a photo up and that's one thing. Well, I've got you on the line. When you stick photos of guitars up in there, list some theoretical specs so the blind guy can join in. To oh, okay. Yeah. It'll make my life a lot easier. And any kind of detail on the website, if you can add that extra bit of detail, like on the Seafoam green strat, is it a push in or screw in tremolo arm? You know, are the tuners locking or non-locking? Again, not being able to see the photo, that extra little bit of detail for me makes life easy. But to go back to the original thing in the artist guitar designer group, it was a photo of, I think, probably what was going to be sort of an offset body, something sort of Mustang or Jaguar-like. And it got into like a 30-comment discussion of what radius we all wanted the neck on. (laughs) Yeah. And someone goes, I want seven and a half inch. And the only consistent argument was the rest of us all said no. <laughs> None of us yeah. want to go back to 1954. No. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think we all agreed nine and a half to ten and a half sweet spot. Twelve, yeah, everything's twelve. Where's that cool? Yeah. yeah. But like seven and a half, no. <laughs> so yeah. you very quickly see what starts to appeal to people. 
and what makes them go, hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Now, has that newsletter gone out yet or is it still to go out? I think we- it's. I think it went out like a matter of um, hours ago. And actually, if I... Um, I might just digress to that previous question about the apricots yes. is that I imagine that that's getting unloaded tomorrow morning. So, oh, okay. Yeah. To change direction slightly where you commented on working on amps as your first job. Mm. Again, when I saw the amps, I'm like, wow, they're amazing value for money. So with the amps, was this a chance for you to put your electronics brain into total mad Frankenstein mode and build the amp you'd always wanted? Or did you go with sort of pre-existing circuits that people would recognize? I would say in general, if I was to uh, look at the, like where we've come, I would say we're probably like halfway there. And um, I think that the next sort of 10 years or maybe 15 years is where we actually have enough power to really start doing more things that we've always wanted to do. So, so the guitar you dreamed of in 1991 suddenly can be at a price and a quality level that everyone else like us who dreamt of them. So like, I still remember going into, uh, I'm trying to remember which store it was here in Adelaide. John, uh, John Reynolds music. Does that sound John right? Reynolds? Yeah, yeah, John Reynolds. Yeah. I remember going to John Reynolds in the um, blah, blah, on the square, and it was you know high end American super strats in about 1993, and then they were four and a half grand. Valley Art. Oh, yes. Yeah. The Valley Art. One day and, yeah. and Vince going, David, take your leather jacket off, pull your t shirt out, and sit in the chair. Yeah. Okay. And I'm a good compliant person because I knew he was going to hand me a nice guitar. Yeah. And I'm happily playing this Valley Art and then he tells me what it's worth. And I just start giggling hysterically. <laughs> Going, and you were crazy enough to let me play it? And he goes, no, no, I know that if you like it, you'll buy it. Yeah. And I'm going, good thing I didn't like it that much. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> they were just so beautiful relative to everything else then. So to be yeah. able to gradually get to the point where, you know, the bang for buck is amazing. And actually, it was an interesting thing. I was telling Tim about this at lunch and you might have a really interesting comment on it philip mcknight who has a great youtube channel oh yeah guitar. yeah i know now yeah, he know he had a the music man affordable brand a sterling cutlass the current version mm-hmm. 500 bucks in america and his first line was this guitar might be the reason why high-end guitars disappear i.e there'll yeah. be handmaids for people who want handmaids and mm. for the rest of us there'll be value for money things that give us great joy do the job better than our hands can do but we can afford to have all the different sounds we want and have a different color if we feel like it. Yeah. Yeah. Are we on some tipping point? Do you think of that's where the gear world is heading either handmade because you want handmade or just amazingly good value because of the manufacturing technology and the streamlining of the system? Yeah, I would think so. Although in the longer term things, I think that guitars are probably got as cheap as they can get. Yes. Um, and there's a few sort of headwinds in guitars because the price of wood is becoming a major issue. So yeah. guitars may become more expensive than they are now um, because there's only so much product. All the things now that have happened are basically production's got better. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think there's a lot to go in terms of production. Yeah. Um, but if the material price, you know, if wood goes up, 
keeps going up as dramatically as it is, that's going to affect the price of guitars. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, there's nothing you can do about that. No, I uh, saw the other day that Fender have made the comment that only very high-end guitars will be done in American Ash because yes, I'm beetle-eating yeah. all the American Ash. Now, on yeah, a timber yeah. question, you know, wonderful thing on your website, and listeners, go look at the website and have a read. You know, Artist Guitars agreed to only use variants of rosewood that don't put the core species at further risk. So what is eco-rosewood? Is it a veneer of things similar to rosewood? Is it a veneer of several different timbers? You know, you're calling it eco-rosewood to make the point this is not rosewood that's in danger. This is something we can keep making for years. But can it be sort of explained what it actually is or does it vary over time? Yeah, so eco-rosewood is, is, is a synthetic very, like creation of rosewood and it's not actually wood. So it's, it's bits of like sawdust and things like that. So it's essentially rich light, a combination of wood fiber. Similar. Yeah. Because yeah. my sense of the feel of it when I you know, pulled my ST62 out of the box is I'm like, oh, it feels like rich light. Again, knowing what rich light feels like. Now, listeners, rich light is an amazing resin that you, know, you very often put paper in and you print on the paper the color or the pattern you want. So you can make rich light look like anything and it's pretty much indestructible. Okay, so in, in a sense, the eco rosewood is heading down that kind of resin with wood fiber in it path. Yes, that's right. Okay. And there's actually some really good advantages from for the guitar from using that. It's really consistent and stable. Yeah, yeah. So when you use rosewood, um, because you've got two pieces of wood and you don't know how well the aging is on the rosewood that you're using on the fingerboard and the maple as the neck, for example... Um, but that difference uh, and that uh, expansion and contraction, that's why you get twisted necks and, yeah, and all that sort of wood stuff. can't get along. In a sense, yeah. that's one of the reasons why people originally liked maple fingerboarded maple necks. Because yes. ideally, yeah. the two bits of timber came from the same tree, had had the same treatment, and it gave you a better chance of the neck behaving. Mm. So to follow yeah. this logic further then... Um, is one of the reasons we're going to move more and more to probably towards roasted maple necks is it allows more average maple to be made much better to be a neck? Um, yeah, it probably does. Um, I think uh, anything you can do, like the neck is such a key part of a guitar. Yes. So anything you can do to stop it, that the neck giving you a problem to me is just you sh that should be done. So roasted so, eco rosewood really is the logical future to get yes. the necks on affordable guitars. Yeah, to me. And the other thing, so I reckon there's three things that are really important on neck. One of them, so roasted maple is great. And another thing which we haven't done so much, but we probably will do more of is ply roasted maple oh, okay so a bit like how ibanez have the five and seven piece necks yeah so you could do yeah. that adam yeah because i think the rg631 i was coveting uh, i think was a five or seven piece neck of panga panga and walnut so pretty yeah. much at that point you you know so Schechter have gone down the path of carbon fiber reinforcement rods and i'm like well why do that just do a laminated neck and get the amazing appearance for sighted people of the layers yeah it's visually yeah. much more interesting yeah yeah. So what do you think is going to happen with 
you know, with bodies, a stuff like poplar, we can grow plenty of poplar and it's hard enough and easy enough to work that there will be okay. Or will we have to go to some sort of modified timber for bodies as well? Do you think on electrics? Yeah, I would, I would think if I was thinking out long-term that you'd probably find more guitars become veneers where yeah. the, the middle wood is something that's sustainable yep. and then there's a, a nice veneer on the top um, that gives you the look, but yeah. you know, it's only using such a fraction of that piece of wood. And that's really all you want it for is the visual appeal. So for, you know, listeners, yeah. for example, with the, the Apricus, it has um, a quilted maple top which again is going to look amazing between the pickups and around the bridge, but you don't need to waste a huge chunk. You can have the visual appear and then poplar behind it. Yeah. Will we get to the point of roasting bodies as well? Will that become a thing? You, uh, you could, but it's much less advantage. Right. So it's just um, not worth it at the price point. Probably not. It probably adds too much cost. Um, and a, a body itself is so solid yeah. That it, it's it's minimal it's minimal advantage. Unless you got like if you had a really soft wood, maybe roasting it would be the bit that made it strong enough. Yeah. So you might find like in ten or twenty years that people take a very soft, you know, soft wood and they're roasting it to make it good enough to use. Would yeah. you better use that on like an acoustic? Um I think like a whole thing basically made out of spruce or bunya or something, just roasting the whole thing. I'm not sure how it works. That, that is possible. And Ibanez did a model that was roasted, uh, I think it was spruce. Right. Oh, roasted um, Moranti. I yeah. Think. Yeah. And yeah. They, that's to make it age, which to yeah. me also makes sense because you don't want the sap and the oils in your wood. Like you want them all gone. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really and, the big difference I found with my, my Paul Reed Smith is the sense I get the biggest difference between perhaps PRS in Indonesia and other companies is they're still putting a really high standard on how wood is treated and that that's really the sound difference in a PRS over other Indonesian guitars I've played. Yeah. There's another interesting side story that I'll tell you there is that we're working with a Australian um, luthier to make a high end acoustic. Um, and the builder's name is Dragelay. He's, he's, he makes some really nice guitars. And um, he was saying that, uh, they had this sort of competition amongst luthiers and this guy made a guitar basically out of like pallets, but because he made it so well, it sounded awesome. So he did it almost as a proof of concept. Stop yeah. fixating on wood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like if you build it the right way, it's yeah. like way more important than which piece of wood you use. Yeah. And like I've seen guitars made out of the best woods Still sound they're horrible. Yeah. yeah, they're horrible. And then you see these other guitars that not great woods, but just so well made. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so much attention to detail. So you might find where people stop focusing on what's the wood, what's the metal, to I'm gonna make my guitar better, like Yeah, the build quality. So like you got quality. the Spanish joint on the neck on classicals. Yeah, you know, you're doing the complicated joint. The complicated yeah. joint resonates better. That is a better way to make a better guitar than using supposedly better timber, but not using the best resonance neck joint. So there's always decisions to be made over complexity of design versus what materials. Yes. And design yeah. complexity, sorry, design effectiveness is going to add more value 
which yes. is which is fascinating. Okay, well, I, I've learned all sorts of cool stuff, and I love this. So, in the case of the Seafoam Green Strat, that mm-hmm. has a maple veneer top. Does that mean the Seafoam Green is translucent enough to see that maple? Um, no, I don't think you can see it. Um, but the veneer, the reason we use the veneer is to get like a really flat finish. Uniformity for the surface for the paint. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So pretty much all strat style bodies are multiple pieces of wood. Yeah. Um, and then we put a veneer on the top so that the uh, it's it's perfectly flat. Then we put yep. the paint on the top of that. Yep. So you get so, that, that wonderful consistent layer. Okay. Yeah. Just so you can't see those sort of join lines. Okay. Um, so yeah, it, you won't be able to like it. It's not there as a you won't be able to see the grain it's through not it. for aesthetics it's there yeah. for a surface so that the paint looks aesthetically pleasing so it is for aesthetics but not in the way i was perceiving it's yeah that's right the perfect yeah. layer yeah okay. yeah wow. um and yeah that's it does make a difference and um yeah those little things that yeah they do make a difference which is Oh, look, it's awesome. So, Ian, I've been a happy little fanboy, and you clearly already understand. I am going to order many, many more guitars, and probably an amp or two. Can you tell us what's coming down the pipeline so I know how many cool things I'm going to buy? Yeah, um, so uh, maybe I'll answer that in like a, a broader sense of what we see the next 10 years, or what I see the next 10 years. And I see the next 10 years of us really like becoming more unique and doing something that nobody else has really done before, but that people want. So becoming less, uh, you know, the same as everybody else to developing the things that people go, I really need to get this sort of guitar. It hooks people in because it's, it's an artist guitar and they want it for that reason because it does something unique. This is something that nobody else has done. And mm. and right now, most of the things we do are, are pretty, you know, they're good, but they're generic. Yeah. And I, I would say the next... of things. Yeah. yeah. And I would think the next 10 years is like, we have all this knowledge about how to actually make it better, like the design better, and that we might have enough um, trust with our customers that we can go, look, this is a better way to make a neck. Try it this, and see if you yeah. like it. And, and the, a way that people don't make it right now. Yeah. And I think it's that's what... tradition into what yeah. modern manufacturing can do. Yep. Yeah. I think that's what the next 10, 10 years or so will be. And it might be... That'll, it's such a hard thing to do because you've got to get people to trust that it's actually yeah, and better. you've got the trust growing now. And again, just yeah. an example of why I've got my first two guitars and the third one on order. Yeah, it is that trust thing. You know, if you trust someone... You go, well, that looks appealing and interesting, and it's not going to break the bank, which is an incredible combo to just build and build and build. Well, Ian, it seems like, again, I could talk to you forever to the point where you would get driven mad by questions. Thank you very much for your time today. And at any point, if you would like to come back and tell us about new things, it would be lovely to hear about them. um, And that way I can drool and prepare to spend money faster. (laughs) No problem at all. Thanks very much for having me on. Thank you, Ian, and thank you, Tim. Thank you, audience. Hello, audience. Thank you for listening to Blind Insights. If you're enjoying the show, please remember to subscribe and share your favorite episodes or leave us a review if you really love us. 
We'd love to hear from you. Get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter at Blind Insights or send us a recorded question to the email in the description to feature on an episode. Also, don't forget that we have merchandise. Thank you to the Ozcast Network. Peace out.